I hope that your hearts are full this morning. We've been singing beautiful songs that are meant to stir our hearts in worship to our God who is worthy of worship. Um, I want to start by drawing a line in the sand. Some of you are the types of people who will complain on things like social media or in groups when you begin to notice that your friends are playing Christmas music, Christmas carols, or Advent hymns before Thanksgiving. And this act annoys you greatly that people would have the gall to do such a thing. Well, I want to make it known that while you get annoyed with those people, I get annoyed with you. (laughs) I think that we should play Advent music, Christmas carols, Advent hymns year round. I would be so happy if that were the case. And if you disagree with me, then I would love to talk to you after the service to tell you how wrong you are. So... But it is true, I love the music that we tend to play in this season. What typically happens and what's been true this year is during the Christmas season, this Advent season, I uh, will have a song that will just significantly impact uh, the way that I think about this particular season. Uh, A song that blesses my soul. And this year, that song has been Joy to the World. Joy to the world has ministered to me greatly. And I want to read this song, not just because it's a song that's ministered to me, but I think it's a wonderful springboard into the passage that we're going to be considering this morning. So listen as I read these words. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ while fields and floods, rocks, hills and plains repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy. No more let sins and sorrows grow nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love and wonders of his love. My heart's desire this morning is that we, as a result of our time spent in the word, that we would sing joy to the world, the savior of the world, our God, our Lord has come. Or another way to put it, my heart magnifies the Lord. I think the passage that we're going to be uh, thinking about today is another way to say joy to the world. 
the Lord is come. Today we are going to be considering what is often called the first and the greatest Christmas carol, the Magnificat, Mary's song. And there's so much for us to mine in this particular carol, but at its heart, we're going to see joy being worked out in praise. And so once again, my hope is, is that we would sing and we would sing bountifully and gloriously to our Lord as a result of our time in the word. Three things that we're going to see from this passage of scripture today. All things, uh, or uh, these three points are lines from joy to the world. Jesus came to make his blessings flow. Jesus came to make his blessings flow. This passage deals with the idea of blessing and this blessing extending to us and even to the world as far as the curse is found. Second, Jesus came so that we would repeat the sounding joy. Joy is at the center of this passage. Not just joy, but joy that works itself out in praise. And then finally, Jesus came to rule the world with truth and grace. In the coming of Christ, God's kingdom program is advanced. And we get to live in that kingdom and see that kingdom being worked out. So that's where we're going to be this morning. Let me pray and we will dive in. Father, we thank you that we can come humbly before you in the name of Jesus and worship you. Lord, would you uh, demonstrate your might and your wonder and your glory? Uh, Would you apply your word to our hearts this morning and allow us to be transformed? We offer you this time as an act of worship. We pray that you would do these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so once again, Luke 1 is where we are. Uh, Turn there with me if you haven't already. The first thing that we want to see from Luke chapter 1, once again, is that Jesus came to make his blessings flow. Jesus came to make his blessings flow. I think we see this all throughout this passage. Uh, in the, in the, uh, the beginning where we see Mary and Elizabeth greeting one another and we see Mary's song. But primarily I want us to focus on this, this first interaction with Mary and Elizabeth. What happens here? Mary comes, she receives this announcement from the angel Gabriel and, and she's also told that her cousin Elizabeth is with child. So she goes with haste to Elizabeth and she goes and there's a greeting between them and then boom, As soon as this greeting happens, the baby inside Elizabeth jumps, dances, leaps. Here, wonderfully, we have John the Baptist functioning within his role as a forerunner and a prophet for the very first time, responding to his Savior, Jesus. And then what happens? Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and she cries out, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Here Elizabeth cries out in exultation and says, Mary, you are blessed, for the fruit of your womb is blessed. Not only that, but I am blessed because you, the mother of my Lord, would come and visit me. What we're seeing here is blessing abound. 
Blessing is abounding. There's so much repetition here. There's blessing for Mary. There's blessing for Elizabeth. There's blessing for John. And if we were to continue, we see that this doesn't stop with this interaction with Mary and Elizabeth. It even goes into Mary's song. Verse 48 uh, says that she is the blessed one and all generations will call Mary blessed. Blessing encapsulates this entire passage. And so let's consider this idea for a moment that Mary is blessed. Why is she blessed? How is she blessed? This is a great correcting passage for us Protestants, especially considering that we're coming out of a season of celebrating the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. These verses that we're considering today correct and overcorrection on behalf of us Protestants for many of us have responded to the Roman church who has venerated and exalted and idolized Mary in such a way that we want nothing to do with that. So we swing way over here where we essentially cast Mary aside and see her as insignificant. But we must be confronted with scripture. What does scripture say? Unequivocally, Mary is blessed. She is blessed among women. She is highly favored significantly blessed such that all generations will forever call her blessed. She alone will bear the emotional weight of knowing that her beloved son, the the king of kings and the Lord of lords, is a dead man walking. Imagine what that must be like. She alone will bear the emotional weight and burden of a condemning community, a a judgmental community thinking that she is an absolute liar and fool, an adulteress, rather than the virgin who is conceived by the Holy Spirit. But she alone will know the privilege and the honor of being the vessel chosen by God to bear, deliver, and nurture the Son of God and the King of Kings. She alone will know the privilege of teaching Jesus to walk and to talk and to figure out his personality. She'll cut his hair. She'll teach him how to put on his clothes and tie his sandals. She'll teach him, uh, or she'll be the one who carries him by his arms. Then she'll tell other people not to carry him by his arms because it might hurt his shoulders. This is her privilege. This is her blessing. This is her honor that she alone experiences. Let us be clear. Mary is exceedingly blessed. She is blessed because she alone carries and bears and mothers Jesus. But that why question is a significant question for us to consider. Why was Mary blessed in this way? Was it because of something in her? Is it because of her righteousness? Is it because she was somehow more moral, more just, more obedient than those around her? No. It's not because of anything that she has done or anything in her, but because of God alone. The grammar of verse 32 is is wonderful and it makes this clear. Mary's blessing does not originate in her, 
but her blessing is dependent upon the latter blessing of Jesus. The fruit of her, of her womb is the reason why she stands as blessed. Not because of anything originating in her, but because God loved her. And his favor rested upon her just as it rested upon Abraham and just as it rested upon Israel and just as it eventually will rest upon us who believe in Jesus by grace through faith. We can't begin to imagine the unique blessing given to this young woman. But the point that we need to see in all of this is not just that Mary is blessed, but this blessing that Mary receives is a blessing that goes forth, that extends It doesn't stay with Mary. No, it's outside of her and it flows freely to the many. To Elizabeth, to John, and yes, even to us. I love the intentional wording of joy to the world and particularly that line, he comes to make his blessings flow. This is such a a wonderful picture that puts in our minds that that the blessings that come in the incarnation of Jesus flow out like a river. They extend and extend and extend. Uh, It makes me think a couple weeks ago, Raylan, Henry, and I uh, had the incredible opportunity to go and spend Thanksgiving in Hawaii. Uh, My in-laws, Raylan's parents, wanted to bless uh, the extended family, and so they decided to pay for us and take us all to Hawaii, and it was incredible. I highly recommend vacationing in Hawaii and spending Thanksgiving in Hawaii in case you were looking for an endorsement. Um, But where we were staying, it, it was situated on the beach, and right out in front of us was this lava rock area. It was this big flat area of lava rock. And then there were steps down that eventually led to this enclosed beach. And the way it worked is because it was on the beach, water would occasionally splash up onto the lava rock and create pools. And then these pools would start to trickle down into other pools and trickle down into other pools and eventually trickle down into a tide pool on the beach. It was beautiful. And I spent a lot of time just looking at this and considering its beauty. And, and then one day, I went out onto this lava rock, and as I was standing there, the swell started to build. If you've ever been in Hawaii, then you know that there are certain places where the swell can build and build, and before too long, there are monster waves. And that's what happened here. And these monster waves started to crash on the lava rock where I was. And as these waves came in earnest and started crashing on the rock, what I began to notice was these pools, these small pools that were there previously, they weren't small pools anymore. No, the water began to rush. And those trickles, those streams that led from pool to pool to pool, there weren't trickles anymore. There was a steady flow. Before too long, there was a raging river and it started to cascade down these rocks until it eventually waterfalled down into the tide pools. It was beautiful, incredible. And what we're seeing in this passage is that in the coming of Jesus, God's blessing is not coming as a trickle. It's not like a little pool that trickles down to another pool and trickles down to another pool. No, with the coming of Jesus, we see God's blessing cascade. We see not a trickle, but a steady flow. God's blessing waterfalls down to the earth. We need to realize today that God's blessings do not stop with Mary. They expand. They go forward. They touch Mary. 
And then they touch Elizabeth and they touch John the Baptist. And eventually they go on to touch the disciples. And eventually they continue and continue all the way to us even today. Mary is blessed by virtue of her bearing the Savior of the world. There's no doubt about that. But notice verse 45 in our passage. Elizabeth says, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. This is saying that God's blessing flowed to Mary, not merely because she is the mother of Jesus, but because she has believed in the promises of God. True blessing comes as a result of biblical faith. This same idea is captured in Luke 11 as well. Jesus is ministering amongst the crowds and someone from the crowd cries out, uh, blessed is your mother, the, the mother who raised you and reared you. And Jesus says, no, no, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. In other words, blessed are those who have faith. The truest blessing of God is made available to us. There are differences, no doubt, between us and Mary, but by God's grace, we have the blessing and the honor of having Christ in us, the hope of glory. Not because of what we have done, but because God's favor has rested upon us, because we are blessed in Christ. Know this today. God's blessing is not for the blessed Marys of this world. And know that God does not keep his blessing to himself. No, he is a God who lavishes his blessing upon us in Christ. When, when Christ came, the incarnation says that God's blessing is going to flow out into this world and it will catch us up into it and it will go as far as the curse is found. This is good news for us today. So this is what we see first. Jesus coming means that God's blessings flow. Steady, beautiful, enriching flow. But what does that do in us? What we want to consider now from the word is the sort of effect this blessing should have on us. And so two, second thing from our passage that we want to see is that Jesus came so that we would repeat the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy. We want to move into the Magnificat proper now. Verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Jesus came so that we would have joy and we'd express this joy to God in praise. Notice a few key words here. First, soul and spirit. Soul and spirit. These two words, I believe, essentially say the same thing. They're referring to that innermost part of a person, that most central part of a person, the most true part of a person. That part of us is deep down in our bones. I don't think we need to worry about parsing out the difference here between soul and spirit. Uh, I think that this is Hebrew parallelism. This is a tool where uh, Mary is essentially saying the same thing in two different ways to provide greater clarity and strength. And what is she saying when she uses this tool? She says, in the most central part of who I am, 
In the truest part of who I am, my soul magnifies the Lord. My heart rejoices in God, my Savior. I make God big in my heart, bigger than he was before. This new information, God's unfolding of his redemptive plan causes God to be big inside of me. And I am rejoicing. I'm undone in glad adoration of my God as a result. What we're seeing here in these first verses of the Magnificat is joy expressed in praise. Pure, unadulterated joy flowing from her innermost being. Mary's affections are stirred and she is being undone. She explodes in joyful praise to God. Why? Why? Of course, for the reasons we just considered because God's blessing has come to her. But also, uh, we, we see some rationale provided in this passage. The word for is key here. For. For is an incredibly important biblical word. It may seem awfully simple, but it is a word worth noting. I make a habit of circling this word whenever I'm studying the scripture. And the reason why is because it often tells us why whatever is happening is happening. It provides rationale. It tells us the because. So why is Mary exploding in this praise? Verses 48 and 49, we see four show up three different times. Why? Why does, God, or why does Mary explode in this way? For God has looked on her humble estate. Why? For all generations will call her blessed. Why? For God who is mighty and holy has done great things. Here what we're seeing is that Mary is full of joy. She is emoting for God has dealt kindly with her according to his steadfast character, according to his loving kindness. I think we could simplify this to say that Mary is exploding with joy because of the gospel. Because of the gospel. This isn't an exhaustive understanding of the gospel. The how of the gospel isn't quite clear. Mary doesn't know that Jesus is going to be pierced on the cross or crushed on the cross in the way that he is. Nevertheless, the basic thrust of the gospel is presented here. Notice a few things. Verse 48, Mary sees herself as humble, as the lowly one. She rightly recognizes that she is not deserving of God's grace and blessing. This is one of the first and most basic tenets of the gospel. We are in need of a savior. We need grace. Not only that, verse 47, she actually recognizes God as savior. She sees herself as needy and she sees God as her only rescue. Once again, she doesn't know exactly how God is going to save her, but she knows that his rescue plan is bound up in this baby. And so the baby in her womb is actually the savior of her soul. We've already discussed the line in verse 48 that speaks to Mary being blessed. But because of Jesus, she will be blessed. This is a blessing and a grace that comes from outside of her. And finally, she sees that God has done great things for her. This to me sounds a whole lot like somebody recounting the gospel who doesn't have all of the details worked out. 
What this tells us is that somehow the gospel, even in its infancy, the gospel and joy and praise and worship are linked. Have you ever been slow on the uptake before? I find that I am consistently slow on the uptake. I find my mind constantly gets worked into uh, a grinding halt and I uh, can't figure things out. This happened when Raylin told me that she was pregnant with Henry. So uh, in the student ministry, we do this yearly event. It's a weekend event, a weekend trip away called Spring Retreat. And we go up to the mountains and we read the Bible and pray and have a great time. It's about 40 high school students. And I am responsible for programming this week and making sure that students get up there and back safely. Often there's snow on the road. And as great of a weekend as that is, and it is a great weekend, it is also a weekend that stresses me out and wears me down. Such that when I get home, my favorite thing in the world to do is to sleep. To take those epic naps where people can't wake you up and you wake up feeling like you've died and come back to life. <laughs> and, uh, and so anyway, in 2015, spring retreat happened. I made sure that all the students got uh, uh, offloaded to their parents. My responsibilities were done. I went home and right about the time I laid down on the couch for what was about to be the most epic nap in the world, Raylynn comes in. She comes in and she's holding a cup of coffee like this. And she says, we need to talk. <laughs> and I thought, oh man, <laughs> I don't want to talk. <laughs> I want to sleep. And she says, I know, I know, I know you want to go to sleep, but we need to talk. Here's a cup of coffee to help you. And the cup of coffee did not um, give me confidence that this was going to be a quick conversation. <laughs> and so she hands me the cup of coffee and I hold it and I look at her and she looks at me and I look back at her and she looks at me. I'm thinking, all right, are we going to start or am I supposed to start? I, I don't remember why we're talking right now. <laughs> and she says, why don't you take a, a sip of your coffee I'm like, well, all right. <laughs> and so I go to take a sip of my coffee and then I, I pull it back and I look because I notice that on the cup is written daddy. And this is the actual cup that she gave me, by the way. And I looked at that and then my mind went blank. <laughs> and I looked at it and I tried spelling it and I... Basically, nothing happened in my mind. And I sat there looking at the coffee like a confused dog for way too long. And then somewhere in the way back part of my mind, something sparked. And then implication, implication, implication. And before too long, it hit me. Oh, wow. Are you pregnant? <laughs> yes. Yes, I am. And, uh, and at that point, even then, even after she told me she was pregnant, I was still thinking through and, and one, wait, what? Uh, uh. Basically, I was not primed and ready for this news. And so it took me a good while to wrap my head around it. And it took an even longer while before the inevitable joy filled me and exploded out of me. But I was not primed for this. I was not quick on the uptake. 
I share this to say that I don't think Mary was slow on the uptake. I don't think Mary was receiving this announcement that she received and sat there staring at it like a confused dog like myself. I don't think her mind was empty. No, when she was visited by the angel Gabriel, she believed the promises of God, both those Old Testament promises and the explicit promises being made to her. She heard the gospel in its infant state and she believed and she was filled with joy. She rightly recognized what was coming or what the coming of the Savior in the world or to the world entailed. She knew that with the coming of Christ comes glad tidings of joy. This is what Jesus and his gospel brings. He comes in such a way and meets our needs in such a way that our hearts are to cry out like Mary's, primed and ready to receive the good news of the gospel. We're to cry out as we receive this good news like the psalmist in Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like eagles. Mary was able to discern God's good plan of redemption And she was able to do so on that side of Easter. How much more should we also recognize the good news of the gospel and allow that to lead us to glad joy that works itself out in praise this side of Easter? We're in a season where many of us experience anything but joy And many of us are kept from earnestly praising the Lord. The the holidays, the Christmas season, it is a season that brings for many not happiness and lightness and festive uh, 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 mentalities, no, but, but sadness, reminders of loss, grief, unmet expectations. And the list goes on. It seems as if darkness has blanketed us in this time. And I don't mean to explain away the sadness that you might feel this season. Some of us feel these things for very legitimate reasons. But I do know, based on the authority of Scripture, that joy will not be found apart from the gospel. The gospel may not be the lightning rod that makes your heart sing this Christmas. It may not just make you happy to contemplate and consider these things, but I can assure you, your heart won't sing apart from it. And the gospel can surely bring perspective and joy to you even in the midst of hardships. Not only that, it is possible that for some of us who are experiencing sadness and loss and grief, that we are uh, refusing to be lifted and to have our souls lightened because we are not believing the truths of the gospel. We are not allowing that to bless us. That is entirely possible this season. Mary's heart sang out in joy for she recognized the goodness of God to her, a lowly and a needy sinner. She saw God's blessing on grand display in the coming of the Savior. And we can have this heart too. 
we can have this heart too. Two things that we could do to go about fostering this sort of heart. First, lean into community. Lean into community. Tim Keller makes a really insightful point that the Magnificat did not come when Gabriel spoke to Mary, but when Mary went and visited Elizabeth. When she heard Elizabeth's spirit-filled words, then and only then did she explode in this joyful praise. As Mary heard these words confirm what the angel, the angel Gabriel said, then and only then did she cry out in this first Christmas carol. From this, I think it wise for us to consider the role of the local church in our experiencing the joy that flows from the gospel. These glories of the gospel are discerned in community, so we must be steadfast in not forsaking community. Please hear this. Mary did not receive this announcement from Gabriel and then hide in her living room. She didn't run away from community so that it can never be confirmed or denied from those spirit-filled people that she was around. No, rather she went and with haste sought out her cousin Elizabeth and then her, her cousin prophetically spoke over her and affirmed these things in such a way that gave rise to Mary's joy. The same can be true for us. These things can be discerned in the midst of community. And so we must be diligent to go to community and wrestle through the truths of the gospel, to have the promises of God communicated to us, to wrestle through our angst and the difficulties of the season even. God is faithful to work in this arena. But not only that, Mary recognizes the implications of the gospel in the community. She discerns in the community, but then she is moved to then corporately proclaim the glories of God in community. It's amazing how when these things were affirmed, she then proclaims and worships and is moved to corporate worship. There's, some, there's nothing calm about this scene. There's nothing quiet about this scene. There's nothing dignified about this scene. The joy that comes as a result of the infant gospel causes loud, boisterous, and beautiful praise in Mary. And that's what community ought to do. Community makes us more of who we truly are. If we're loud people and we get around other loud people, then we become more loud, right? If we're violent people and we get around violent people, then we become more violent. Community makes us more of who we are. And so if we're loving people and we get around other loving people, it should encourage that. And if we're worshipful people and we get around other worshipful people, it should encourage that. So what does that say about us? If people were to walk through our doors during our sung worship, would they consider us to be a worshipful community? Would they consider us worshipful people being stirred up and spurred along by one another? It's worth considering. I hope and I pray that as we consider these words that we would be moved to discern the gospel in our midst and then we would be moved to joyful, undignified worship of our God. So lean into community, but also be steeped in scripture. Be steeped in scripture. Mary was steeped in scripture. Mary's words here and later in the Magnificat are words that either flow directly from scripture or clearly implicit in scripture. Mary knew the word of God. She was so acquainted with the scriptures that when her cup overflowed with joy uh, at the coming or at the revealing of Elizabeth's words that her words were scripture. She 
quotes at least half a dozen passages of Scripture, including 1 Samuel 2, Hannah's song, Psalm 103, which we've already read, and, and so many more. I think it right for us to assume that Mary was primed and ready for all of this because she was a person of the word. Mary, no doubt, spent her traveling time to Elizabeth, meditating on the scriptures, turning them over, wondering how they applied to her in light of Gabriel's announcement, so that when she heard this affirmed, she was ready. She wasn't slow on the uptake. No, she was ready to explode. Joyful praise to God because she was a person of the word. And here's the deal. If Randy is right, and I have no reason to think that he's not, Based on what he said last week, Mary was a 12 to 14-year-old illiterate girl. And yet, she was able to produce what, what is no doubt one of the most beautiful pieces of Hebrew poetry. The first Christmas carol. A song that is sung all the world round every single year. She was able to quote at least half dozen scriptures in this passage. And do so beautifully in a holistic way. If Mary was such a student of the word and she knew the word so well, even not being able to read, then we have no excuse. Mary's example of faith ought to convict us and compel us to the word. And it should challenge us parents and it should challenge us young people. Young people, Mary was a student of the word. She didn't shy away thinking that was above her. She didn't think that she couldn't handle it. No, she dove in headlong. Parents, know that your children can handle the word. The word is accessible from us when we are infants, when we are young, all the way to when we are mature and learned. The word is for us. And so let's not keep it from us. No, let us spread it as, as lavishly and as generously as we can. Final point that we want to see from our time in the word is that Jesus came to rule the world with truth and grace. He came to rule the world with truth and grace. Luke 1, 55 through 55, 50 through 55, I'll read this real quickly. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humbly estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. This passage is steeped with good stuff. And so much can be said here, but I want us to see one major thing. It can be said that the previous section of the Magnificat that we dealt with says joy to Mary and then it flows to the world. But this passage is undoubtedly joy to the world. Through the coming of the Son, God did something with Mary. But through the Son, God is going to do something with the world. He's going to bring his kingdom and his kingdom will be an upside down kingdom where roles are reversed. There, aren't, there are two distinct groups in this passage. The haves and the have-nots. The, 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 the groups aren't so much separated by societal status or by socioeconomic status or, or anything else, but by pride and humility. The haves are the proud and the have-nots are the humble. What comes of these groups? Verse 50. God's mercy is for those who fear him, for the humble. 
Verse 51, according to his mighty and strong right arm, he scatters the proud. Verse 52, he brings low the mighty and he exalts the lowly. Verse 53, he gives the hungry in spirit, the hungry good things and sends the rich away with nothing. Verse 54, he has helped Israel, his servant. In these verses, we see a pattern being developed. The age of the sun is going to be marked by the low being exalted and the exalted being made low. The proud will be frustrated and they will be cast down while the humble who fear God will be lifted up. The kingdom of the sun flips everything on its head. This is what's going to happen through the sun. And notice here, everything that's mentioned in these final verses, they are past tense. That might be confusing to us because this is all stuff that is coming, that is being ushered in with the coming of the son. Nevertheless, they're written in past tense. Why? Hebrew, uh, Mary, a student of the word, is using a particular type of tool. She's using a particular, particular type of tense and a particular type of verb to write in such a way that she is writing about future things and she is saying that they are as if they have already happened. These things are so sure they will undoubtedly happen so it is as if they've happened in the past. The kingdom of God will come to bear. There are political and theological ramifications here. What do I mean? First, politically. Because Jesus has come, there is to be a real life tangible effect on how this world operates. There is an ethical component to the kingdom of God. Because Jesus was born, because he ushered in the kingdom of God by his spirit, because he set up his church to be his hands and his feet, justice is in some measure to reign upon this earth. Not perfectly, but there is an ideal that we are to strive for. We're to make steps to see God's perfect peace and justice reign on this earth. I wish that I knew exactly what this would look like and how exactly we should go about doing this. But this is, in fact, a big question. But I do know this, at least. It means that, that we live for God in all spheres of our life, not just our private lives. Not only that, I think this passage takes us to at least two things that we should consider. Two groups of people who are often considered low, but the kingdom of God flips on its head and exalts. Two groups that are often uh, put at odds by our culture and our current political climate. The first group is women. In the Magnificat, in the story of Mary and Elizabeth, we see the value and dignity and equality of women put on grand display. Women, not men, are those who are filled with the Spirit and who utter these grand things. Women, not men, are those who sing the first Christmas carol in beauty and glory. Women are those who are blessed with the fruit of the womb and who are blessed when the Spirit is communicated to them and they speak from the Spirit. Women are held up as useful and as of having great value. And so we ought to be a people who recognize how God sees women and to celebrate this and to fight for them, to do everything in our power to make sure that they are held up as God views them. But not just women. This passage also holds up the value, dignity, and humanity of unborn children. 
If there was ever a pro-life passage, then this is it. John, an unborn child, responds to Jesus in his mother's womb. His humanity is on display. And who does he respond to? A several-day-old Jesus. He responds not to a clump of cells, but to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Here, scripture beautifully upholds the rights, the value, and humanity of the unborn. Scripture, God, affords humanity to the unborn. In God's upside-down kingdom, we must value the least of these. We must fight for their value. We must fight for their rights. We must fight for their dignity. This is what it means to see God's perfect peace and justice in this world. Of course, we can't do this perfectly, but it is something that we are to strive for as the hands and feet of Jesus. But this passage goes further than that. This passage isn't merely talking about how we interact with the world as Christians. It also tells us how God interacts with us spiritually. He will exalt the humble and he will bring low the proud. Who are the humble in God's economy? They're the ones who recognize their neediness. Like Mary, they recognize their need and they come to God, the source of life. They're the thirsty ones who come to Jesus, the spring of eternal life. They're the hungry ones who come to Jesus, the bread of eternal life. Who are the proud? The proud are those who don't fear God, but they think they could stand upon their own righteousness, their own deeds, their own accolades, their own merit. They don't think they need a savior. So the question becomes, what category do we fit into? Mary's song, the Magnificat, tells us that Jesus is coming to reverse the order of things. The lowly, the humble, those who recognize their neediness, they will be exalted. And the proud will be cast down. And the question is, why? How can this be? And that's the Christmas story. Jesus. Jesus came down. The truly exalted and mighty one was made low. Jesus, who was rich, became poor. Jesus humbled himself so that we would gain everything. So where are you? This beautiful passage of scripture calls us to recognize our neediness in our lowly estate and to follow the example of Mary, to recognize that in, in God we have our Savior. And that Savior has come in Jesus. And so we, like Mary, can cry out joy to the world. The Lord is come. Joy to the world. If you are the humble today, then you have so much reason to be full of joy and hope. The Magnificat tells us that Jesus, because of Jesus, his death, life, and resurrection, God will not leave you low and broken, but he will raise you up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, your mighty word, your clear word, your word that comes to us and reveals our desperate need, our lowly estate, but your word that reveals Jesus, our Savior and our King. And so, Lord, we cry out in our hearts, joy to the world. Let that be our cry, Lord. Would you work in us by your Spirit, in our innermost being, causing us to be those who cry out in joyful praise. We thank you for your word and we thank you for your gospel. We praise things in Jesus' name. Amen.